In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the And welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolak, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsing. With me all the way across the Pawnee is Mr. Parascience himself, the great Stephen Potter. What's it? Oh, you guess. It's cat. It could be only one thing. It could. Good, good afternoon, Ron and Cal. And uh, I guess uh, that was Cal thundering into the show there. Yeah, you know what? Oh, no, it wasn't me. You can oh guess what it is. Oh, my God. Man. No, you mic's yeah. overdriving. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, That's uh, better. Yeah, you know what it is? He just can't yeah. not tolerate having his own introduction so he creates his own noise to let us know he's there and of course all the way from the cross great the pond, yeah whatever the rock parapsychologist himself mr cal cooper author of the book telephone calls from the dead Ooh. there we go <laughs> how you doing <laughs> okay so what is that noise me get my own back on cal <laughs> <laughs> My God! You're like it a bunch of children. I feel like I'm your parents. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojinet, RX Ghost Channel, and beyond. So uh, you know, uh, I kind of uh, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of zombie stuff. You guys are like big on zombies over there. It's really huge over here. We. Uh, no. Yeah, yeah but, I mean, they are, they are big over here. I mean, mainly with the teenagers and the, uh, you know, I've got a teenage daughter who's, you know, right into sort of vampires, zombies, werewolves, all that sort of stuff. Mm. I've only ever seen one academic, well, sort of academic study of zombies, and that was at the Exploring the Extraordinary Conference last year. And that was just looking at different themes of zombies in different societies. And funnily enough, it's so weird, the guy who gave the talk is the head of firearms at the Leeds Royal Armouries Museum. So it's quite no worrying. It's as though he's actually planned himself in case of a zombie sort of apocalypse and he's got plenty of access to any guns he needs, really. Do you know, to be, to be absolutely honest with you, Ron, having sat through some SPR conferences and <laughs> the uh, presentations delivered by these academic parapsychologists, mm-hmm. I know a great way to turn somebody into a mindless zombie. Oh, 
goodness, just listening to them, is that what you're telling yeah, me? Yeah, just listening to them, it's just mind-numbing stuff. Well, you know, we have a TV show over here called Walking Dead, which is extremely popular. I mean, hugely popular. Everybody just got to have their little fix of it. And it's all about the zombie apocalypse. And, uh, and of course, we had this new article that just came out about the Zamboni and uh, hooker that uh, turned into a zombie. So, uh, you know, there's so lots of buzz going on. Keep them over that side. We'll we'll uh, we'll make do with Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> great movie, great movie. So, anyways, we have a, a gentleman on the show today who Steve, I guess you know pretty well. Um, we've conversed uh, on Facebook and um, uh, on the social media. We've never actually met, uh, but John oh, really? is a long-time investigator of things paranormal. And, uh, right in my own camp, uh, a fellow ghost hunter for a change. Yay! Um, so I'm on the west coast of the United Kingdom, so right across the other side of the country, on the east coast, where it's Which is probably like about just a- eight miles, right? Yeah, it's about 350 miles, but where it's probably just a tad warmer than it is here, uh, is I'd like to welcome John Hook from Hello. Norfolk Paranormal Investigations Group. That's right, yep. Hello. There you go. Hello, John. And, uh, uh I mean, Steve wrote me this little, little thing about you, how you got into it, which I thought it was kind of intriguing. So do you want to, you know, let us know, how, how did you get involved with the paranormal? It's always a good question to start with. Yeah. It's like well, the beginning. It, it was way back in, uh, if you understand my accent, it was way Barely. back in, <laughs> it was way back in 1975. Uh, it was me and a school friend of mine, David Maddock. Um, we, we read an article in the paper, um, people reporting, seeing apparitions and ghosts and things. So we set out on a weekend to spend the night at these locations to see if we can actually capture um, what these people were seeing. And over a period of months, it, it sort of worked out that um, although we were trying to find out or see what people were actually reporting, we were starting to find other reasons for what the reports were. Okay. Um, so, on, you know, on our first investigation, we took three cameras with us, Helena cameras, which were um, little, um, which took um, 35 millimeter films. One had a blue filter, I think we, if I remember rightly. One had a red filter, and one was black and white. And we were sort of snapping all night with these three cameras and we found that a, a majority of the time there was a quite a normal explanation for what people were interpreting as a ghost and would you be was, talking about orbs there john no my heart skipped a beat then john <laughs> <laughs> i must get loads of photos sent to me of orbs every week um, this, is a, this is now an orb-free zone. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've eradicated them from Ghost Chronicles International. <laughs> I, I will post that on the website just for you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we say we do get a lot of um, photos sent to us of orbs and ask if we'll come and investigate people's houses. And you can't really investigate a house on photos of orbs. So what I normally try and do is try and visit these people. Um, 
and clients and, and explain to them, you know, potentially what the jobs could possibly be, you know, be. Um, and 90%, 99% of the time, I would say, that, um, you know, I walk away and, and people are quite happy with that explanation. And, um, and it makes them a lot happier in themselves. You know, uh, they, the, they have demonologists for getting rid of uh, demons, right? Right. You do yeah. know that. Yeah. You're going to yeah. call me an, ob- an obologist now, aren't you? No, no, no. They have, they, have, <laughs> they, have, they have maids for getting rid of orbs. <laughs> All I was a big can of split, uh, pledge. Oh, dear. <laughs> Anyways, uh, of course, Cal would disagree with me because he knows that orbs are definitely uh, spirit energy. And, and if he talks, interviews most people, then they will tell him that. And he... I heard an interesting one the other day that was, I'm sure it was linked somehow that orbs are proof of Jesus Christ's miracles, something like that. That, that mm-hmm. I missed that part in your paper, Steve. I'm not answering, I told you, it's an orb-free zone. <laughs> All right, okay, great. <laughs> okay. I am no, not being drawn into this anymore. The test has been done, it's been proven. Okay. Move on. Moving right along. Think about, you know... <laughs> God and Jesus Christ, and there was a woman that was uh, praying the other day in her living room, and the telephone rang, and she went over to answer the telephone, and as she did, a plane crashed right through her house, and the only part that wasn't destroyed was the part she was standing on, and oddly enough, she was talking to uh, one of her parishioners at the church. Hmm, interesting. Mm -hmm. Moving right along. Lucky. In some respects. Lucky. Lucky Steve. At least I don't name myself. In other respects, she still has lost her house. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but the interesting thing about it is she still praises God, so despite that. So, I mean, that tells you quite a bit in itself. So, anyways, I think we have a guest. Did we lose him again? No, no, no. No, I'm still here. Okay, okay. You want to weigh in on that or you just want to let that one lie? I think I'll let that one lie if it contains all. Okay. So anyways, John, uh, you have been doing this for quite a long time. Uh, when you started doing it, I assume, did you have a, uh, any type of scientific background or anything, or is it just a, a peak curiosity or, or basically a, uh, a hobby when you first started? Well, it still is a hobby, but we like to think that we're helping out other people at the same time. Um, when we first started, it was just it was just us two men, just me and David, just, you know, at the start, and it was started off as ghost hunting. Um, it's just sort of slowly progressed, um, you know, more or less into um, looking for alternative explanations in the first instance before we can even point towards a paranormal conclusion. And following an interview we had with the paper, local paper, back in '76, I think it was. We started getting phone calls from um, people in houses, private houses, saying, well, we've got this going on, we've got that going on, will you come and help us out? Which we did. And and as soon as you start to talk to people and interview people, you can more or less find a logical explanation without even getting into any kind of depth of an um, an investigation. Um, One of the questions 
which we try and ask very carefully. You know, we need to know when we go into a house, uh, the people who report on the activity, you know, are they on any kind of medication? Um, you know, you've, you've got to be very, very careful here. But we found that a lot of the time people are on some kind of medication. And now the team I've got now, we tend to look into the um, bits and pieces of uh, the medication they're on to find out what the side effects are. And okay, so let, let me stop you right there for a second because I do have a question regarding medication. And, and you say you find out what kind of medication on. Do you ask them or do you go rummaging through their medicine cabinet? <laughs> no. No, be very, very carefully asked. You've got to be very careful how you ask questions. Um, we, we, you know, you, you, you do ask, you know, are they stressed out at the time which they see these things? And if you ask if they're stressed out, they say, well, yes, because I'm on so-and-so medication. And um, one of my team, Paula Jennings, she then, then goes on to research and finds out if um, one of the side effects is how hallucinating um, and we do try and find out if that is a possible cause before we arrange to go in and disturb their their home with a full investigation mm -hmm. so we'll talk about uh you know in, in reality uh cal would have a bunch of questions regarding the medication and and, and frame of mind uh wouldn't you cal uh, yeah, but I, I'm not particularly skilled in pharmacology and know, uh, know, you know, all the backgrounds to different... Uh, <laughs> oh my God, Steve, I just noticed that. <laughs> Sorry. You started so, it. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, boys. Fair play. Fair, fair play. Um, sorry, yeah, pharmacology. haven't really got a background in it, though. There are some... Right, um, but, I mean, is what he doing... Is what he doing? What kind of English is that? Uh, is, uh, is what... It, he is doing is is that proper uh would you say investigative techniques for a parapsychologist it's something that would need to be considered with many other things first of all i would as i'm sure steve would look at the physical properties of the building and have they got anything to do with something that's producing the effect of something that's being interpreted as a haunting then look at the individual and the situations they're in not just are they on any medication are there any certain things in their life that has led to them having such experiences. Have they suffered a bereavement recently? Um, any traumatic experiences, a, a breakup from a long-term relationship? Um, and also sleep trouble as well, which is related from this as well. Um, so you would want to sort of seek the advice if you, if you do think medication might be involved, then you turn it to someone that might be interested in the paranormal and also has a sort of background in something like those particular medicines, pharmacology. We do have quite a few parapsychologists that either have a medical doctorate and have studied parapsychology or have actually been studying pharmacology along with parapsychology as well. So, you know, definitely don't go into it and look at the side effects yourself and necessarily draw conclusions. I would always seek the advice of someone else at the same time as well. Can I can I reiterate there what Cal's saying? Because I, you may. I, have, a, I have a nursing qualification. Oh, yes. Um, and I would strongly uh, caution any any investigator who is asking questions about people's medication uh, without... I mean, the internet is a good resource and it does give you the basic information about um, side effects and contraindications and other effects of medication. But at the same time, 
uh, it's straightforward black and white written in medical jargon and it's very very uh, it can be very confusing and misleading unless you do have that specialist training and knowledge that that you get from either nursing or, or pharmacology um, that that said cal is is absolutely right and um, that it's something that does need to be considered but it, it's something that, um, as John has also pointed out, it's a very sensitive area for the client. Right. Um, but it's also one that's very, very difficult for your general paranormal investigator, ghost hunter, to, to approach mm-hmm. because you're, you are dealing with um, not only sensitive but highly specialist information. And, and, and I, I'm not trying to, you know, say anything against you, John. I mean, what you're doing, that's a definitely, you know, you, you, it's something you should consider. But, you know, I have known paranormal groups that actually would rummage through somebody's medicine cabinet and, uh, you know, come up with their own conclusions, just what was in the medicine cabinet. So uh, that being said, when you do get information from a client, John, uh, do you, you said you looked at the side effects or anything, but do you just dismiss it if there is a problem or, or do you just put that under something to be considered and still continue forward? Yeah, we'll put it under something that needs to be considered and taken in, you know, into consideration in, during the investigation. Um, there, there are many other questions we like to, do like to ask as well. That is just one of them. Um, but we don't come out straight outright and ask the client, you know, well, are you on this, any kind of medication? What might cause you to hallucinate? Uh, we ask, you know, what the stresses are in their life. Um, and quite a lot of the time, the client will come out and say, well, yes, you know, I'm on sort of medication for so and so and so and so. And um, that's just something we'll just jot down mm-hmm. and just take into consideration um, before we actually go into a full investigation of their house. You know, as I say, um, when you go into someone's house, you're in, you know, you've got to be very careful what you do and what you say. Everything has got has to be confidential. So mm-hmm. when we do any kind of report or anything, nothing is mentioned um, about any medications or anything like that. It's just okay. something we actually put into the report when we actually send it to the client after the investigation has taken place. Okay, so there's your meat and potatoes. You you prepare a report for the the client, and in this report, what type of uh, conclusions, you know, what what do you base this conclusion on, and, and what type of conclusions do you tell the client? Well, we'll give them we'll give them several sets of um, answers. We'll give them a, a possibility of what m- may have caused what they were experiencing. Um, one of my team, Joe Briggs, she's very into the spiritualist side of it. So we'll, hold, we'll also give them her side of what she thinks may be causing um, what they're experiencing as well. Um, I've also got two sons who are now involved. I've got Mark uh, and Rob. the family, huh? It, it is. I, can, I find that over the, over the years, we've had different people coming in and out. Um, I find that once you've got your family now involved, um, you can tend to trust what they're actually doing. When you've got other people coming in who you know nothing about, you know, you're at them, you know, it's very difficult to take in what they interpret. So I've got Mark 
um, his first job at any investigation is to go through complete baseline checks of everything. So he will go through the house with a thermal imaging camera and he's looking for any kind of drafts, um, heating pipes, anything like that, which we can log down to see if um, it coincides with um, what the, the client is actually reporting. And so, when you do, you give a conclusion. I mean, you give several conclusions, or you just give, you know, uh, your place is haunted, your place is not haunted. We'll, we'll tell them. We'll give them um, what the logical reasons could possibly be, an alternative, alternative explanation for what they've actually reported to us. You know, that is our main, our main um, goal. Okay. We have a question, actually, for John in the chat room, which is um, kind of relevant at this point. What's the scariest place you've ever investigated, John? Yeah, I don't think we've ever, ever had a um, scariest place. Um, thinking back, I think um, we have a pub in Norwich called the Brickmakers. We've, we've had a lot of activity. We, we were called in from there from the landlady, and we had a lot of activity in there on which we couldn't explain on the first investigation. But she didn't want us back in for a second investigation because she said that after we left, things picked up quite nastily, and now they've died down again. But mm -hmm. nothing, nothing scary, not, not as far as I can recollect over the past 35 years or so. Ron, same to you from me. What's the scariest place you've ever investigated? You'd have to define scary. First of all, I don't find any place scary. Uh, I find them interesting, but not really scary. Um, okay, so we're all being brave tonight, then, are we? No, it's not being brave. It's just, <laughs> you know, I, I've been asked that question since I started this for year after year after year. Every every newspaper, know, right every that's television. That's why I'm asking you before you asked me. And and all all the interviews, and it's always the the same. You know, where is the scariest place? And uh, you know, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'm so involved up in the investigation and everything else. It's just really not uh, something you even dwell on. I mean, there are places that are creepy looking or or uh, have a creepy vibe or or that thing. But as far as being uh, you know scary, I mean, that's not why I do it. So I don't even come into play so so steve what is the scariest place you ever investigated um well actually i, I can give you an answer to that question it was a pub in it. Pres it was a pub in uh, lancashire preston mm -hmm. um and i won't name it but it was only scary because um halfway the through locals the, yeah <laughs> halfway, no no not the locals halfway through the investigation the landlord's wife came back from a night out with the girls and she was very very drunk took took immediate exception to us being in the building and started pelting us with with uh, empty bottles and glass <laughs> ashtrays and all manner of detritus from inside the pub and was raging around the building like like a like a I was going to say a bull on hormones, but she was female, so a cow on hormones would probably be a more accurate wow. description. You, you just that call was her a cow. You that, know that, don't you? That was seriously, seriously scary. Um, the scariest situation I think I've probably ever been in. And, and uh, what about you, Kel? Yeah, I, I don't think I can beat that. Um, I have got no idea. Seriously. Really? 
It's not a being brave factor. I, I just can't think of one that was really creepy, creepy. I, I think uh, maybe, um, oh, where was it? Chillingham Castle. If you were to investigate that place more so alone, just one or two of you, uh, well, one or two of you. If you went in there alone, obviously it'd be scary, but two or three of you just okay. doing it alone. Well, I, I thought it was. It's the first time I went there, and I like the sort of, they've got um, a torture chamber in a way where they've moved some of the old torture devices and an Iron Maiden into one room. I mean, it's sort of creepy, but I, I wouldn't class it as the, the scariest place that I've been to. But certainly if there was less people there, because I went when there was like a group of 60 people for Diabetes UK going there. So it was so crowded, there's no way you can get that sort of scare factor. <laughs> uh, if I recall it, actually, I believe uh, Steve was telling me of this place that he got to investigate when he was younger or something, and they had the key to the place, and uh, they hightailed out of there, if I, I re recall. Uh, it yeah, it was Steve, but you had the actually the key to the place. Yeah, we had were... we, we had the keys to the shipyard. Um, no, this is said... uh, uh, in in a uh, well. I don't want to get into it because uh, no, I think that was me with um, Clifton Hall. I had the key to the place for two years. Oh, that's the one. I'm sorry, yeah. wrong, 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 Brett. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, we all look alike. They all look alike, right? <sighs> also. <laughs> <laughs> So, anyways, John, who was our guest, remember him? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, John, I mean, yeah, you've been doing this for quite a long time, and you had different people come in and out of your group, uh, from what I can get from what you're talking about, and now it's predominantly a, a family yeah, affair. Yeah. Um, do you think that it's extremely important that you're able to trust people that come in, first of all, and second of all, do you need to bring in people who are specialists, or, or how do you determine who be, goes into a paranormal group? You are paranormal. Well, everyone needs to be open-minded. That, that's very important. Um, we've got a, a quite a mixture of people, and you know, family-wise, in, in the team at the moment. The only one who isn't um, a family member really is Drew Briggs. She's basically very spiritual, you know, and um, Paula Jennings, she's, she's my sister. Um, she's mainly into research. Um, they mark, he's very much in charge of all the baseline and all the paperwork which takes place. It, I, I suppose he's very so on the parapsychologist side of it. Um, Rob is my youngest. Um, he's in charge of everything to do with the tech side of it. So once we've had, um, we've talked to the client, he, he makes sure that, that, that all the equipment is set up in the right places at the right time. Um, for instance, if, if there's no apparitions been reported, then there's very little point in setting up um, DVR cameras everywhere. Um, so there's little things like this, this which, which we need to take into consideration. Um, but baseline, things like baseline checks, you know, we, we have to do them every hour on the hour because things change, the temperatures change outside, and so there's so much to do um, on that way. So I need to trust 
actually people who are actually doing these things. Okay. Um, Unfortunately, uh, I hear the tunes, which means we have to take a break right now. We'll continue this when we come back. And we also have a question from the Pararex chat room for you as well. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojanet Pararex, Ghost Channel and Beyond with Mr. Parascience, Steve Parson, the rock parapsychologist, Cal Cooper, and New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick. We'll be right back after the final messages. Welcome to Tokinet. Radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more. Located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more. All in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange, deranged. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous, as we give awards to the Parax family. Take 6,427. All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolek, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so Ann, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And cemetery tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll, I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. Except so anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Anne and Ron. See you then. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Pararex to Jeanette Ghost Channel and Beyond with Steve Parsons, Cal Cooper, and Ron Kolick, our special guest, John Hook. And uh, I do want to mention, speaking about Anne, who's my co-host from Ghost Chronicles Next Generation, is that uh, the first weekend in April, we will be at the Houghton Mansion in North Adams, which was, of course, on the Ghost Adventurers, and I've investigated many times. We'll be there with Jeff Belanger, Dr. Stay from Darkness Radio, um, 
Josh Mantello from The Mansion, as well as the Berkshire Paranormal, Andrew Lake, and the boys from Spooky South Coast, and author Leslie Martin and Medium. So it should be a great time. Tickets are still available. If you go to our website, uh, there's a link, neghostproject.com, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com. So there you go. So we're, uh, did we finish our question, John? I forget now because I'm old and... John? You're on. Yeah, well, I think we fin- I think we finished the question. Okay. So actually, uh, we have a, a question from the Pararex chat room I would like to ask you. And uh, this is from Kat, and she says, other than offering probably non-paranormal uh, causes for uh, what people are concerned about, what does his team hope to do for the client? In other words, so, you know, you seem, I guess she's saying that you offer non-paranormal check, but you ever run into things that are not, uh, you know, you can't explain away, and, and what do you do with that to the client? Yeah, we quite often come up with, like, well, you know, things which we can't explain. Um, as I say, the, the first thing we need to do is to find any kind of alternative explanation for what they're experiencing before we can actually sort of lead to a paranormal conclusion. Um, we, we give the client both. We give an alternative explanation and we also give an ex- you know, a reason for what possibly could be paranormal. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, our, 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 um, we need to give the client what they want, I, I suppose. What they want or what you find? What we find. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's because there are some people that, that no matter what you do or what you present, if they believe it's one way or another, uh, then they'll not believe you anyways. Exactly. Uh, if we go into a, a private house and these people are 100% believers, no matter what um, explanation we give them, as far as they're concerned, it's paranormal. And we have to respect, you know, uh, their their view at the end of the day. All we can do is tell them, and that, you know, an, an alternative reason for what they were experiencing. Okay. So, Steve and Cal, what's your you know your comments on this? Is is uh, this the proper way to run an investigation? Um, or you know, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I think every group has to find its own dynamic. Um, I mean, there are certain standards that that um, I think every activity has. Um, and, you know, from what John's saying, I, I mean, I can't find any issues there. But mm-hmm. I think every group has to have its own dynamic. I mean, what works for John's group, um, he's, he's chosen a route where most of the team are family members because, uh, as he said, he, he, these are people that he knows he can trust. Right. Um, Every group, you know, will will find a way that works for them and suits the the particular needs of its membership and and its aims and objectives. Some groups, for example, um, are you know realistically they're they're out there with with aims of possibly uh, demonstrating spiritual intervention or or an afterlife um, or some other. Uh, you know, there are groups out there who are, who are hell-bent hell on debunking everything or mm-hmm. you know, proving orbs are paranormal. Um, yeah, so, I thought that was an free zone. I'm sorry. So, oh, I could have said K2s. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think I've every group has to... K2s, Steve. 
<laughs> we'll get on to them. I think every group has to find what, find a way that works for that particular group, but providing they adhere to a, a, a set of good principles and good standards, uh, and bear in mind, as John keeps uh, making, making the point so well, that you're dealing with people in their homes and that you have to be respectful and confidential in those well, dealings, then, then I, 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 you know, I don't have any issues. Cal, I mean, you, you are usually a residential uh, skeptic in that, uh, you know, you you always see a different side of things. So what about you? No, I, I don't think I've, I've got a different side to that. I, I totally agree. I mean, um, certainly going into people's um, private homes, they, there are many um, that we could argue right now in the UK and in the USA, people are living with what they believe to be poltergeist activity and other strange things going on. And uh, eventually they work their way to the people researching them by whatever means, seeing a website, email address to that person, the SPR and so forth. And um, it's difficult when it actually comes to um, looking at these places as um, a, a potential place to study and, and actually learn more about the haunting. I mean, uh, you've got a family dynamic going on. And the issues that we've covered, you know, personal members of the family, are they on any kind of medication? What's gone on here? Is there a bereavement or some sort of trauma within the family? Um, they're very, very delicate things to actually investigate. Um, so, yeah, you, you do have to know what everyone else in the team is doing. You need, do need to know everyone's place. Um, you certainly need to make sure that those that are doing the personal communication with the family have probably got sort of a set code of conduct or sort of list of do's and don'ts of what they do when they actually go in and interview these people for the first time, things to look for. And um, it, it's within recent years that um, some of the paranormal journals have started to publish these kind of ethical guidelines for the investigation of hauntings, and they apply more so to these private homes than they do when you go to a, a classic old um, location that's got a lot of history to it. No one particularly lives there anymore, and it might be open to the public. So, you know, there's not so many ethical issues to consider because there's no one's kind of personal well-being uh, at risk there um, by sending in an investigation team. So, yeah, making sure you know your place within the research group is certainly an important thing, and making sure you can trust everyone that you're working with as well. Okay. I actually have a question for you, John. In, in your yeah. interviewing the, uh, the uh, people that you were doing the investigation for, do you ask their religious views or other religion? No, I don't. No. Okay. No, I'm just interested in exactly what they've experienced. Um, right. And the same with the family, whether anything um, fits in. Um, with what, well, basically, have they all experienced the same type of thing? If they have, um, is there a particular time they've experienced these things? You know, have it been after some kind of trauma? Have they got some kind of stress in there? You know, what is happening at the time? Um, the other thing I need to look at sometimes, um, which I'm, I'm not too much into, well, I don't know much about, is the infrasound thing. Um, we did have... Um, it's it's a buzzword. You know, that's the, the latest thing that, you know, when ghost hunting, it, there's always some cool thing that, you know, when we first thought it was EMF, now it's infrastructure, like it's the God-given thing for explaining all ghosts, but as we all know, it's just another another thing. Let's put it that way. Careful. <laughs> <laughs> it's just another issue. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've had two, two or three investigations now where people have experienced things happening in their homes, 
and they've actually been on a, quite a busy roadway, um, on a ring road around the Norwich area. So there's three things in common there where traffic and heavy lorries are actually been travelling about. And there's a bit of a coincidence going on there. No comments, uh, Stephen? I'm I'm just refusing to bite to your obvious bait, Ron, um, about infrasound. Infrasound, yeah, actually, you, you, you're absolutely spot on. Infrasound has become the the almost the new buzzword. Um, mm-hmm. I would I would argue though that actually uh, it's EVP that's uh, very much out in the lead um, in this particular. Well, EVP is so old school. I mean, basically, yeah, but it's, it's doing such it. a, over here. It is absolutely mega big. Um, really. Oh yeah, I mean, I think this is this comes from the world of television um, mm-hmm. because with with EVP research, of course, you've got something you know great for the uh, media, great for television. Yeah, right, it's something you can actually see and hear. So which you can is actually, awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. And groups have taken to it like ducks take to water. Um, I don't know a single group now that that um, almost you know without exception goes out and with their digital recorders and makes evp recordings in field um and presents them as evidence uh, hey, and john do you do that as we're we're talking about evps yeah we do we try and do some evp at every location but um if it isn't something which comes out very very clearly then that has to be thrown out um if it's something very sort of digital and um very messed up it, it, it doesn't go through. There has to be something very, very clear which we can actually present to our clients okay. um, and something which they can actually relate to. Uh, well, I think, I think the, the, the problem with EVP is um, I think it's the, the desire to hear something in the noise. Um, you know, it's we've basically, a lot of times it's audio matrixing. Well, uh, I yeah, know I that's agree a, I think, yeah. I, I mean, that's that, that's the trendy the, the trendy expression for pareidolia or uh, paraphernalia. Um, but it's just this, you know, an absolute desire to hear something, anything in the noise. If you say to people, um, you know, I'm going to ask the spirits on the on the ghost box to say your name, invariably within a very few minutes, most of the people present mm-hmm. will have heard their name being called. Um, and plus, that's prov- what you're tuning your mind to pick out anyway. You are yeah. specifically focusing on expecting names to come through rather than any other word that could relate to something that's meaningful to us. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but we- Cal, is, isn't that, you know, um, better evidence and ear quotes because uh, you're getting a direct response to a question rather than if you were asking, you know, what's your name and then it said, get out? I mean,. Yeah, but it, but is it a direct response to a question, though, or is it something that we're just making sense of out of the static because we know that the whole idea is to actually get an intelligent response from the EVP? John Randall said um, he, he was very disappointed. He was a, a biologist and a long-term member of the Society of Psychical Research, and um, he had quite an impressive library himself, and he read... Um, uh, Dr. Constantine Radifer's book Breakthrough on EVPs, and he was disgusted with it. He hated it and said that he didn't keep it for his library because he said there was so much scope for human error with an EVP. And he said, if you take the sound mer, M-E-R, um, what does that actually mean to us? Does it mean female horse, or is it French for mother, or C? You know, you can take a word and give it so much scope for meaning. Um, so we really have to be so strict when it comes to EVP and understand how we will actually process sound and what we actually make of it. And also, 
what does the device that we're using do? What's it for? Learning about its pure, you know, electronics is an important thing, as well as the psychology about listening to the sounds that it's producing. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> but the, the interesting thing about EVPs and it, it, is that you don't, to, to me, you don't use that as absolute proof of anything because first of all there is no absolute proof but well actually actually ron i'm gonna i'm gonna have to disagree with you because there are mm. investigators over here in the uk who take that as absolute cast iron proof um of uh spirits and the, the existence of another you know another dimension the the an afterlife oh, um and they present it sorry that's not no 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 don't be please it's just another um avenue to take Exactly, yeah. and John, I think you know I, I agree a, a lot of what you, you've been telling us about what your group does, and that presenting what you've collected, uh, not necessarily presenting it as evidence, but presenting it as what you have collected, and in exactly. you know it's not your your job to determine whether a place is haunted or anything, but to provide what. The I hate to say the evidence, but we can use it. Evidence you have collected that what is going on here. This is this is what we've got. Uh, you know, you have to determine it yourself. Every I mean, it's very difficult for uh, if you have a lot of uh, you know, say you have a couple EVPs, say you have some light anomalies, and we're not talking about the O word, um, and and some other things, and you you. Can you say that's proof of a haunting? No, no, our spirit there. In, in reality, you can't, but you can definitely show that something is not necessarily ordinary. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you do need to give any client um, an alternative explanation. Um, a lot of the time, when they contact us, these people are very, very actually scared of what they've seen. And I do want to bring up the, um, the old most haunted thing, but people do tend to watch the program and they see the orbs. They contact us and say, look, we've, we've got all these orbs in our place and, and my daughter is absolutely terrified of what's going on in her room. Um, we, we do try and explain that most haunted is an entertainment program and you know please don't take that what you see on the tv as what is possibly paranormal and yet it could could be <laughs> <laughs> well there's always that possibility but you, you have to give an, an alternative explanation for what there right. could be well, in, in actual fact, John, I'm sure there have been instances, uh, I know in my own investigations, that, um, where you can definitely, uh, you know, you don't have to give them an alternative because you can find an absolutely definitely, you know, definite, unequivocal reason for mm. what's been taking place. Um, you know, I mean, are you, are, you, are you prepared to do that with the clients or do you, you know, give them, uh, you know, a get-out clause if they want to That's still believe? Not- well, we we have to give them the, um, the complete um, dossier, what we've collected. They have to make their own, you know, their own um, definition of of what they've experienced. All we can do is give them an alternative explanation for what could possibly have been causing what they reported to us. 
Yeah, it's a bit like you can. It's that, what's that say? You can take a horse to water, but you can't make it lie down. Um, right. That's that's know. the important thing. And you know what? I, I when I mentioned that religious question, and, and I, I do that when we do an investigation. I think it's an important part of our uh, research. In that, because certain religions believe in certain things, and that. Of course, our beliefs and your beliefs, the way you're growing up. And, and for instance, we had someone on the show who believed there were no ghosts, but everything was either was a demon because when you died, you either went to heaven or hell. Therefore, if it was around, it was a demon. Do you remember that, uh, Stephen? Oh, yes, indeedy. Okay. But that, so in, in skewing that, you have to look at investigations. So that's what this person is going to believe it is rather than a, uh, you know, a spirit or anything like that. And on the other line, if you have an atheist who are an agnostic and uh, it doesn't believe in any spirits, doesn't believe in anything at all, then they're seeing something. You have to look at it a little different way. I do recall actually an interesting conversation with a Church of England Anglican um, vicar who explained to me that uh, there was no way his church was haunted um, because there is no such thing as ghosts and Mm -hmm. people who believe in ghosts and uh, that sort of nonsense are all uh, deluded and mad. And I said, do you believe in God? To which... Did he die? Uh, uh, well, I presume he's still. I, I presume he's still an incumbent in the in the parish he's in. But it was a. It still was throwing a, darts at your vote. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> the one with the, what the picture with horns on it. Um, yeah. But it's an interesting. You know that he can believe powerfully in in this divine being um, mm-hmm. based upon the contents of a book and the evidence of his own beliefs, and yet he condemns people for you know, the evidence within literature and research and the power right. of their belief. Why would he do that when the Bible outlines ghosts all over the place? Well, in the modern Church of England colours, you know that you, they can selectively apply the Bible. Uh, oh, any argument you see, there's always a quote here and then I'll fight your quote with this quote and it just goes around in circles. But right. there are some quotes that are quite clear where it says, you know, the, you know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and, you know, that's the Holy Ghost. It's there, and, and in several Ooh. other places. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, okay, fair enough, if he didn't believe in them, and fair enough. But he never got right. back to your question, though, on do you believe in God. Did he actually answer you? Uh, no, he didn't. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. So, so Cal, you understand where, where the religion aspect could... Uh, skew a, uh, a an investigation over a person's experiences, right? Um, it might just change their interpretation of it more so as to what's going on because they'll have a, um, a prior set beliefs and expectations from their religion depending on how long they've been following that religion. You know, they might have just converted or they might have grown up with that. Um, so every time we do surveys and questionnaires to look at a a uh, group of the population and what's going on with certain types of experiences. Generally, we include a paranormal belief scale to look at um, sort of what end of the scale this person's on. Are they, you know, quite a believer of the paranormal or are they quite sceptical? And also religiosity. What religions do they follow and how strict are they with their religion? So I'd always say it's quite an important uh, question 
um, to kind of always keep in mind when you're dealing with different people that have experienced the paranormal. And just bring it up because it's just useful to actually compare that against an entire group of people you've investigated that have had haunting experiences. Are there any um, kind of patterns emerging with certain types of religious followers and so forth? Um, it's all important information to understand about human behavior in the paranormal. I do want to give you a compliment. Uh, Kat from the uh, uh, Pararex chat room says that your team's research approach is refreshing and that so many teams seem to have an agenda to help people, in air quotes, by providing something that something's happening and do cleansings, etc. I think uh, too many people go too far uh, in creating harm than help in some of these investigations. So you I would compliment. I, I'd like to also um, add um, something there as well, if I may, Ron, because John has said something very, very important, which is missing in, in a lot of uh, modern uh, investigation contexts. That is, you know, the one of the client report that John said that they put all of this information together, then they go back and they present it to the client with as a series of options as to what they consider might be taking place. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's so old school and so important because what tends to happen these days is the group is barely, you know, back in the house and they're desperate to get everything up onto Facebook. They're desperate to get it up onto their website and, you know, shout about it on Twitter and tell the world all about their investigation and how well they did and all of the experiences that they had. And they forget, actually, that there is, you know... Uh, a client there now even if even if they are in some dusty old haunted manner people still visit that place people still have to work in that location and so there are impacts on these people mm -hmm. um and you know this idea of uh, that john has you know remembered the clients i think is, is essential and absolutely key you know facebook it, it has its it has its uses and you can all follow me and click like later but <laughs> but you know it, yeah, it's I like Probably. Don't forget that we're there to work for people and help. And as John John's group is so ably doing out in Norfolk, you know, uh, their aim is to assist. All right. Yeah, sorry, Steve. Oh, sorry for interrupt there. Yeah, yeah I know. Um, it's only recently we've we, we've actually attended some ghost hunts, public ghost hunts. And we, we've actually gone on to these ghost hunts just to find out what is actually people are actually experiencing. And it's actually... Absolutely nothing to do um, with paranormal whatsoever. When you're dealing with people, you're dealing with people. Um, they want genuine answers. You know, that, that what they don't want is you to go into a situation and come back to them and say, well, yes, you, you know, you've got something really nasty happening to you here. Um, but with a, with, a, with a ghost hunt, it, it's all about um, entertainment. And I think you've really got to um, separate entertainment with, pe you know, with what happens at people's premises. I agree. I think uh, you, you hit the nail right in the head, John. People go out on a Saturday night and they're not going ghost hunting. Um, right, they're, they're going for entertainment. It's an interactive scary movie, isn't it? It's a night out <laughs> at the cinema where you're involved in the, mo in the picture. Exactly. So, I mean, we're just about out of time. I know we're getting down to the end of it, and I, I know that uh, Mr. Parsons, it's Parascience, had brought up something about K2 meters, and so I, I wanted to ask you, John, do you use those in your investigations? Yes, um, I, I'll be honest, we, we do use them. 
we we've actually had some front some results which really need further investigation. Um, we've had a we had a one situation where we put three K twos into a corner of a room, three corners of a room at fifteen foot intervals. We've asked questions and we've asked to locate the K two in a particular corner of the room and. This has actually happened. I'm, I'm not suggesting it was paranormal, but certainly it, certainly, you know, it needs looking into further. Why, if we asked a K2 to light up in the third corner, it did light up. If we asked a K2 to light up in the one corner, it did light up. Why? So there you go, uh, Mr. Parascience. See how the well, uh, that, the that's an interesting. The modern-day uh, paranormal investigator does employ the K2 meter. Uh, um, I, John, John, and I have discussed this in the past, and, um, and it is, we you know, it's a very interesting thing he raised that that particular test. Um, I, you know, he does he does rightly say it requires more. Uh, investigation to find out what was happening, but it is an interesting concept that notwithstanding whether it was a K2, a cell sensor, or any device at all, that three separate near-identical devices um, in a, in a, you know, within the same space uh, were seemingly being operated differently. Um, which would be an unexpected result because it would be it would be fairly difficult to get such a highly localized electromagnetic field source um to 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 work in 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 that particular fashion in, in reality uh, so, if, you so think does of, it... if you think about the paranormal steve if for instance in evps if a true evp if you have two or three recorders the evp will only show up on one of them and that is the the true definition of an EVP, because the theory behind it is that the uh, spirit manifests its voice on the white noise of that particular recorder, so it's not a true audio recording. So you could have three EMF meters in there and only one react. Is it because that EMF meter is broken or nothing, or is it just uh, the spirit manifesting on that particular one as it does with an EVP? Well, they're it's interesting questions. I'll have to. Well, they're, they're interesting questions. are going to have to wait till next week because we have the pizza. I about. guess so. So, anyways, our guest today has been John uh, Hook. We want to thank you so much, John. Hope we weren't too tough on you. And I blame Steve for that, so don't worry about it. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> and, and you got a website already? Website? John, your website? Yeah, yeah uh, it's npig.co.uk. From ghoulies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.